0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the League One Lowdown, this is episode 5. I'm your host Matt Ars and as ever we are joined by two guests, we are joined by Alex. Alex, how are you? Know, Matthew. I'm not too bad, thank you, are you alright? I'm very, very good, thank you. And also I'm joined by a very boy in Oxford supporter, Joe. Joe, how are you mate? Yeah,
1: I'm alright, mate.
0: Good, good. Well, two-thirds of the podcast are still very happy following Bank Holiday Monday's results, whereas I still feel a little bit glum, but uh, we'll leave that there, shall we? Uh, let's begin by talking about Rochdale. Uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, we said they looked dead and buried, but my goodness me, what a difference a few weeks makes. On the 3rd of March, they appointed former player... And our Irishman Brian Barry Murphy is caretaker manager, which he has now become permanent manager. And my goodness me, that a seriously good revival. Since taking over as caretaker manager, they've gone from 22nd to 15th in the table and have a record of five wins, two draws. And two losses, they've beaten Wickham, Scunthorpe, Bristol Rovers and Shrewsbury in that run to move five points above safety and virtually secure their place in League One for next season. Let's start with you, Joe. Um, Are you surprised as much as I am the fact that Rochdale have completely turned this around in just a short space of time?
1: Yeah, I am surprised. Um, I think, uh, as you mentioned, we said uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast that we thought Rochdale probably, them and Bradford were were too far gone, but it's been an inspired appointment, really. I think he's just um, rejuvenated the club from top to bottom. He's got the, be- um, the best out of their top, top players. Ian Henderson's got Fari again for, for Rochdale. And, um, yeah, I, I am surprised because I, I thought they were just too far gone, too, too many points behind, but they're, they're now looking sort of safe for two games to go, really. I, I don't see them being dragged back into it. They're all but safe on 51 points, I believe. So, yeah, it is surprising because they they were just sort of terrible run a form. It looked as if, uh, you know, they obviously just only narrowly stayed up last season. It's been sort of two years of, of stagnating or, or regressing, you could argue, mm. um, for Rochdale. And they brought in this sort of inexperienced guy, Brian Barry Murphy, and I just wasn't expecting much from them. Um, and I was expecting them to probably just see it out to the rest of the season and go down to League Two and then mm. sort of rebuild. But it's been... Uh, it's been a great run of form, and you've
0: got to give credit to, to, to Brian Barry Murphy. Yeah, you do, and uh, I completely agree with what you're saying. Alex, I mean, uh, it's, it's quite interesting because Rochdale, when he arrived, had the worst defence in League One, and he's really turned them round. I mean, they've conceded nine goals in nine games, which is a, a phenomenal record. And, I mean, they made such a big risk in appointing the guy over Keith Hill, who, you know, had great success at Rochdale, arguably is, is a is a modern-day legend. Um, What do you think's been the secret of their revival under uh, Brian Barry Murphy? Because you watched them a few uh, on Friday against Wickham. What did you make of them uh, as a a team?
2: Well, I think the
0: secret to their
2: revival is that they um, gave Brian Barry Murphy a winnable set of fixtures to uh, have his introduction to manager then. They they picked up wins against Shrewsbury, Scunthorpe, Accrington, Wickham, Bristol Rovers. They're all teams in the bottom half of the table with the relegation scrap. And that shows that they, they didn't give him impossible tasks because he did have games that you would probably say are the most more favourable uh, matches which you could pick up points in. And when, when I watched them on, it was Good Friday, so a couple of days ago now, they... They didn't look brilliant. They looked um, like your typical team in a relegation fight. But they, um, they, like Joe said, they do play to their strengths. they their good players. Henderson, he's I think he might be top scorer in the division now, is he? He's definitely up there. He's
0: um, he's definitely up there for sure. Yeah.
2: If you if you can um, get the best out of him, they played them um, quite quick on the counter attack, and um, they got Henderson got his goal after they added a little bit of pressure towards the end of the match. That was enough to get a 1-0 victory for them. It, it seems like he's got. Um, yeah, he's got a way of playing which is less direct than what Keith Hill probably would have gone with. Mm. But then they had they probably did have to change their play style. They were gonna um turn their form
0: around and start picking up results. So fair play for It's definitely worked and they're probably gonna remain in the division
2: next
0: season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. Uh, let's move away from Roch then. Talk about a team who else is in terrific form is actually Portsmouth. Sort of looking uh the last ten games, they have won eight of them drawn one and lost one the only game they lost was to Charlton away which is not too bad a thing to say given Charlton's record against the top six is pretty phenomenal uh, they've won six games on the bounce they've beaten Scunthorpe, Shrewsbury, Wickham, Rochdale, Birds and Coventry again okay, it's not the most exciting set of fixtures but to have that run towards the end of the season is absolutely tremendous um, Joe do you think that Portsmouth After coming through this wobble that they had sort of January, February, do you seriously think now that they are strong automatic promotion contenders and not just playoff candidates?
1: Yeah, I definitely think they're they're right in the hand. I think they've got a game in hand over Barnes, if I'm right in saying. Yes,
0: Um, they do, yeah. They
1: win, they go back into the top two. Um, you know, they were really struggling, sort of early in early 2019. They were on a really poor run of form. It looked as if they were blowing it. Nobody would have been able to predict at, at that point that that they'd be sort of go on this mad run of form that it would see them back into the top two potentially if they win this game in hand. Um, and yeah, I mean, Kenny Jackett at this level, I think we've said it a few times on the podcast. You know, he's one of these managers that at this level can just knows how to get results. And uh, I don't think you know if you want to get promoted from this division, you know, Kenny Jackett's one of the best managers to uh, to do it. There's not many better out there than him, I don't think. They've got some good players. Um, they've got some experienced players as well. You know, Brett Pittman got the winning goal, I believe, in their last game
2: yeah, against did.
1: Coventry. Uh, he's a great guy to have around the around the club. He's been promoted a couple of times, promoted with Bournemouth a couple of times, I think. You know, in, in these divisions, he's just a really handy player to have. Knows where the back of the net is, and I think you know he looked right through the team. Um, it's it's a good squad, and they've got some good forward players as well. Uh, really recruited well in that department in in, in the January, uh, with Vaughan and, and Bogle. you yeah, bring bringing in um, really good additions, and yeah, I mean, I think it's in sort of in their hands now. If they if they win all the remaining games, they they'll get automatic promotion, and uh, I wouldn't bank against them doing that to be honest. You
0: you made you made very very good points there. One thing that stood out for me that was saying about Brett Pittman, Alex. I think when when they had this wobble in 2019, is sort of me and Joe just said there. He wasn't in the team, and you know he might not be the most effective of players when you want work rate but he knows where the back of the net is and it just seems to me it's a coincidence he goes back into the team their run of form gets good again do you think that that's something that I think it, do you think that that's been interesting towards it do you, do you see it like that?
2: I think he's been a massive part of why they're starting to pick up the well, why they've been picking up results again recently he's um, such an emphatic finisher played above league one level for most of his career scored goals at Twitch Bournemouth you saw from the, the way he took his goal against Coventry on Monday, he just absolutely rifled it into the top corner. Like a lot of strikers or players had taken a touch or anything he just absolutely smashed it in the first time. And it was it wasn't it wasn't an easy ball to hit as well. The ball was um probably almost at hip height for him. He just absolutely whacked it into the top corner. He's um. One of the, one of the probably the most natural finishers in the division, and when he's in the team, like when you've got a player like him, you're always going to be looking to score goals. You, know, you only need half a chance; you're probably going to be able to have a good chance of tucking it away. And he scored um, twice in a game against Wickham, which um, I was following the other the other week. He, he he seems to be in good form himself, and it's it's definitely no no coincidence that
0: when he's back, that Portsmouth have been actually picking up their. Um, in their best form of the season. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're quite right. I think what well, stands out for me with Portsmouth, I mean, you know, feel free, you two, one of, well, one of you two to jump in, but what stands out for me is they're the best team at sort of really grinding a result out of that top four. Um, you know, look at the results. Burton away, they left it late. Coventry at home, which was on Sky as well, as well as Burton, they left it late. Um, they do win... Games sort of by a narrow margin. They've had a couple of good wins: Bradford five one and Rochdale four one. And that sort of in those last ten games. But I think they are the best team in the division of of grinding that result when they haven't played particularly well. Would you agree with that uh, assumption, you two?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would actually, and I think that's an important thing to have as a sort of uh, when you're going for promotion, just to be able to grind out results. It's sort of the old cliche is, you know, when you don't play well and you still win, that's that's the sign of a really good side. And I think Portsmouth have, have got that to accept. Not that they've not been playing that well, but you know, when they need to score a goal, when they need to get a result, they can they can go and get it, um, even if it's not that pretty, in order you know the way they're getting it. Um, and yeah, I mean, the three games left for them. Um, if, look I think they've got a great chance of getting promotion um for that for, for that for that reason as well you know that they can just grind out results and when the pressure's on I think I would fancy Portsmouth a little bit over definitely over Sunderland and probably over Barnsley as well because mm. Barnsley went over a bit, bit of a wobble a couple of weeks ago as well didn't they so yeah I think um yeah I think Portsmouth now probably the favourites you know probably the favourites which is crazy a few weeks ago we discussed it and they were sort of very much the outsiders and now they're Right at the forefront of the promotion race, so you've got to give credit to Kenny Jackett um, for the for the turnaround and and for the way they've um, they've really uh, given it a right good go the last few weeks, and, and they're right back in the mix.
0: Alex, do you have anything to add to that, mate, or do you just think that everything's sort of been said? Well, I, I definitely agree with what
2: you say about um, they grind up results well because I think they were um, when they they um, since. Uh, the middle of March, I, mean, I think I was watching the, I can't get my words out, sorry, I am following their game against Shrewsbury away and Shrewsbury are dominating it and um, they're really um, pushing Portsmouth back up until Portsmouth scored just before half-time I was thinking, well, if they do get a win here, this could be one of the biggest results of the season. You're not playing well, you, can, you have to do your defending, you're not
0: completely dominating the game, you can, you need to be able to try and see our result and they did that, they won that game 2-0. They, um, I'd also back
2: to the Wolves against Wickham, they're a bit more comfortable against Rochdale 4-1. Left it there against Burton. Left it there against Coventry, coming from behind. So it shows that they do know how to be able to get a result, and they don't know when they're big. winning the games from behind a few times. That's another important key, um, uh, an important fe- um, feature to have when you're going for promotion. Mm. And there are three remaining games, Sunderland away. This, it's a big one, but then you've got Peterborough at home and Accrington at home. I think if they, if they can win Peterborough at home, and beat Peterborough and Akrington at home, you'd probably fancy them to be able
0: to get that second spot. Yeah, you would. I, I, I personally think that the Sunderland game on Saturday won't be the, the moment that sorts out automatic promotion for them. I think it's the Peterborough game, that game in hand. If they win that game, regardless of what happens against Sunderland, say they get you know, four points in the next two games, they they, they you know, they have every right to firmly believe that they can get out of this division. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree with that, surely? That the Peterborough game is the deciding one rather than Sunderland. I don't know what you yeah, two think.
1: I mean, they're two big games. I mean, Sunderland, I think if they can get past that game, um, they, won't, if they, get past that game they won't fear anyone. You know, if you beat Sunderland, who are arguably is not of the biggest team in the division, mm. why would you fear, you know, Peterborough, who, yeah, they're on a decent run of four minutes so or just that's not like the playoffs, but... I'm not sure. You know, I think if you can get past Sunderland, that'll be a big psychological test. Past actually, uh, yeah. the, where you think well, if we can get past Sunderland, we can get past these last two games easy. And I think that would be a big game. But Peterborough as well. That's that's not easy. And uh, I think you're right in saying that if they get if they get six points from the next two games, I can't see I can't see um, anyone else joining Luton in the championship next season um, for that second spot. To be
0: honest. So moving away from Portsmouth, I'm going to talk about a team now on the serious downslide, and that's Plymouth. Um, in the last. Sort of ten games. They've only picked up one win. They've lost their last four. They've scored five goals in their last ten games, and there's been a lot of sort of uh, quite sort of comical things coming out of the last few weeks involving Plymouth. Uh, Derek Adams banning the local paper and criticising Freddie Ladipo. Um Jay, you you often say about how teams shouldn't hit this bad form at this stage of the season, but. It seems with Plymouth that they just seem that they can't get out of it any time soon. Where has it gone wrong, do you think?
1: Uh, It's difficult to say because, you know, around about Christmas time uh, they weren't on quite a good run of form. They sort of pulled themselves together just early in the new year and it looked as if they were going to get out of it. They were sort of mid-table. But it's just proof that, you know, how tight it is in this division, just a few bad results, just one bad run of form can drag you right back into it. And and as I've said many times, um, it's at the wrong time. It's at the end of the season. You know, you look at... um, uh, teams on sort of good runs of forms at the moment. Oxford being one of them, pulling themselves right out of it. They've been down there most of the season, um, but they've just got themselves together right at the perfect time. Plymouth, on the other hand, yeah, the um, they've been mid-table. They have got themselves together, but it's petered out, and things just seem to be going wrong left, right, and centre. As you say, um, I think Derek Adams is quite a divisive figure. I think at this at this point, you need somebody who's going to pull it pull. Pull everyone together, and, and and you need a united front. Mm. I don't think Derek Adams is really the sort of guy to do that. Um, I think he splits the fans uh, right through the middle. He splits the whole club right through the middle. I think um, you see Freddy Ladapo um, on Twitter, not really happy with his comments, um, where he says he was he made himself unavailable. Um, he's still claiming very much he was injured for the game. Um, so you, that's not what you need. You know, you don't need falling outs in, in the camp between manager and players, or players, uh, you know, with each other and. And, and you just need everyone to be united. And I just can't see Plymouth doing that anytime soon. So it's going to be a real struggle for them. They've won one in the last 10 games. And I, I, I struggle to see them winning another one if this, if this sort of uh, fast carries on, to be honest.
0: Well, Alex, I mean, we obviously talked about with, with Plymouth just there. Joe made some really good points. The fact that they don't have any players in that team that can maybe get this team by the scruff of the neck and get them out of it we've seen with teams at the bottom you know we talked Rochdale Henderson Bristol Rose Clark Harris um, people like that do you see Plymouth in the current predicament they're in a player within their squad really going do you know what I'm going to drag this team through the mill and get a save do you honestly in your heart of hearts really see that at the moment well it, it's
2: difficult because I think they've got two of the best midfielders in the league in Grant Carey and Ruben Namir, there, on their day two top one playmakers, they can make things happen. Carey set pieces have oh, always been very good. the has sort of a greater chance of nothing. But they've been underperforming. You could say Carey's been underperforming the whole season. He's not reached the levels which got him in the team of the year for the last season, didn't before this one. And that's probably why a bit of a reason why they're struggling down at the bottom. And I don't think it helps them having off the field problems as well, especially as Joe at this stage of the season, but it's, it sort of goes hand-in-hand. Hand. If you struggle off the pitch, you tend to struggle on the pitch. Like You could ask supporters of Coventry and Blackpool, so they with throw through the divisions. I mean, it's obviously different off-the-field problems, but they still... When you can't get things... Um, when you've got stuff, and sort
0: of the general mood of the club's quite low. It resonates onto the pitch. It seems to take a toll on the um, players on the pitch. But if, if you're going to look at someone, that, someone
2: in the Plymouth team to... Uh, you want to be able to get him out, but you've got to probably say Graham Carey. He's, um, he is. I'm sure Plymouth fans probably agree in general their best player mm. when, he, when he plays at the top of his game. He's underperformed this whole season. They've probably got they've got two games away at Accrington, at home to Scunthorpe. They've got to be able to try and pick up. You'd probably say definitely when definitely beat Scunthorpe, but if they lose to Scunthorpe, they're probably going to go to Scunthorpe. Scunthorpe will stay at the Plymouths expense. But if if they can't do that, then you're probably going to say is Plymouth are going to get relegated this season.
0: I think for me, when you look at Plymouth, they're a team under Derek Adams, who we've seen for the last sort of three years under his leadership, how they go for games. They want to, you know, they want to attack, they want to play on the front foot. It just seems, you know, but obviously we're obviously going on what we see on their form and stuff. But it just seems like this has almost disappeared. This attacking intent and the, the the way they want to play within the last sort of month or so. Um, t- talking about their last two games, they've pretty much got a massive say in what happens. In the relegation scrap for all for the teams above them and below them, you know they lose on Saturday to Accrington, who we're going to you know we're going to preview that game sort of later on in the podcast. It's very it's going to be very much um, their game against Scunthorpe. Basically, winner takes it all, isn't it?
1: Mm, yeah, I think I think so. Like, it, it could be a sort of a, sh- a relegation shootout in the last day of the season, which is exciting for the neutral, not so much for the, for the fans sort of involved in that game, I'd imagine. But I think it, it could be um, two teams who. I think the two teams are interesting in a way because they both sort of pulled themselves together midway through the season, but have fallen off a cliff again in uh, in Plymouth and mm. Scunthorpe. And, and uh, look, I think it's it's going to be interesting. I think Plymouth the, the the solace for them will be that their two remaining games of the season are winnable. Then you know they've got beat um uh, tone to Barnsley on Easter Monday. That's a really tough game. They haven't got another game like that where uh, mm. a team could just. If they if they if they perform, they could just have their way with them, put, uh, pit them apart. It's, you know, they, they they can win these last two games, um, and but they've, they've got to. The pressure is really on them now, um, and and it's difficult to perform when the pressure's on. But and and when sort of the, the club is divided, as it looks as if Plymouth is right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Moving away from Plymouth, I want to talk about now Coventry City. Of course, is uh, Alex touched upon just a few minutes ago? Because they're a team who don't have. Uh, field problems very much uh, having a very solid campaign back in League 1 after promotion from League 2 last year but very much off the pitch it has been uh, one that's been very much talked about of course whether or not where they play their home games next season they've got a dispute with um, the local Coventry Council the arena company that own the Ricoh Arena it's over rent disputes um, of course, they've had it before, uh, nearly six years ago. Now they had to play at Sixfields in Northampton. Um, Alex, it's so sad to see a massive club like Coventry don't own the stadium, which, for arguably, is far too big for League One, and you know, it's very much a Championship level ground at a push, touching Premier League. It's it's so sad to see a club, you know, that was in the in the early part of the twenty first century, was part of the Premier League, to sort of see it. Fall on its knees as it is off the pitch. It's it's quite classical, really, isn't it?
2: Well, you, you don't really wish this on any football club because the people who generally suffer most when something like this happens is the supporters. Because the, the players come and go, the people on the board come and go, managers come and go, staff come and go. But it's always the, the supporters are always at the club throughout. They're sort of like there for their whole life, and um, it, it, it's a shame. As a, as a football fan myself, I couldn't really. Like, it'd be strange just having like not knowing where your clubs will be playing their home games in the following season. But I think they are. They've got they've got um, a meeting with um, Wasps and their stadium owners, um, which has just been delayed. They're making progress um, to stay in the stadium. It's now been delayed until the 29th of May. So perhaps they will end up being at the Rico Arena next season. But it's it, it, the uncertainty. It, it can't be like. Good for the fans, is I've seen a few tweets on my timeline. It just says a club which is I'm so such a proud history, like being in the Premier League, winning um trophies and like for, um back like four odd years ago. It, it's a shame to be able to sort of like for some people just to treat it like a bit of a toy and just mess the supporters around by by giving them this sort of uncertainty of where they are going to be playing their games.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Um, Obviously, just to give a bit of context, um, it's obviously the stadium isn't owned by Coventry, as I said. Uh, They're trying to do a sort of a rent agreement with Wasps Rugby. They seem to, at the moment, can not come to some sort of arrangement or agreement. Um, The uh, sort of owners or subsidiary of that, CSU, the supporters have had various disagreements with them. Um, and it's seeing fans stay away from a from a play, from, from a player's point of view, it would be very difficult to see a stadium like that and almost see it. You know, not even barely a quarter full at times. It, it must be so, I guess, for a player quite quite damaging, really, to sort of because you want as your home games, you want an atmosphere, you want to soak it up for a, for a Coventry City player this season. That has been no such thing, has it? Yeah, I mean,
1: you say that, but. The funny thing is is that the two, te- two teams who've had stadium problem or you know ownership problems this season and, and have been in that situation where, you know, they've the players have been playing in front of the sort of quarter you know, quarter full grounds are Blackpool and Coventry. They've done really well this season. So mm. it's 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 interesting to see that actually, that the players have actually um really stood up and, and uh and and battled through these tough times and, and performed. So you've got to give credit to, to both Coventry and Blackpool um whilst are on that sort of topic. Mm. Uh, who've done well under difficult circumstances this season. Uh, Blackpool sort of seem to be coming out the other end. I hope Coventry can follow them because, uh, as I concur, what Brum said, you know, the supporters are suffering. It's not fair on the on the city or the club. Uh, proud, a proud club, you know, with, a, with good history, FA Cup winners. Uh, you know, nobody wants to see that happen um, to another football club because uh, the supporters are the ones that are suffering, as Brum said, and uh, it needs to be sorted as soon as possible. Hopefully, it can.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they did release a statement on the uh, club's official website, didn't they, this morning? I mean, you, may, you two may have seen it or you may haven't. People on the listening to the podcast may have or not seen it either. But they said that they have worked with the EFL and they're close to coming to some sort of arrangement about where they're playing and agreeing a deal to uh, stay at the Rico. So it looks like uh, that... The situation does have a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. We're going to move on now to a to a debate which uh, we we got on Twitter. It got talking a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. Who the greatest League One player is of the last ten years? Now, what I decide, what I think we should do as as the three um, people on the podcast, we should think of three names since the two thousand and eight nine season that have um, really stood out for you. Um, And you've almost got to pick one of the three you say as to who you think is the greatest player of the last 10 years or so. Some suggestions we had off uh, people from Twitter was Bakari Sacco, Deli Ali, Billy Sharp. Uh, Other people we had as well was the likes of um, Alex Mowat, people like that as well. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that's a very good suggestion as well. But speaking, let's let's go to you first, Alex. Um, Who would you say the three players you would put down as the three credits of the last ten years and then out of the three you've got to choose one of them well, who would I you think choose? For me
2: one stands out by an absolute mile um, but my, my three would probably be uh, I'd put it in descending order so from last season Bradley Dack, and then a couple of years before that Billy Sharp and then before that was Jordan Rhodes when he was at Huddersfield, but I think mean, Jordan Rhodes by by a mile probably the best player to uh, play in the League One. He scored thirty six League goals in that season. At Huddersfield went up in the playoffs in twenty twelve, including five in one game, like on Sky against Little and Wanderers, <laughs> <laughs> he's, an, I mean, he's an absolute animal, isn't it, is it? It There's no it its always. He just took in a way. Just took a bit of the took the Mickey out of the defenders in the league. It's you could tell he was just way too good for the division. He, he seemed to, similar to what I said about Pittman, but more than it said just finished all the chances he got. He was a proper poacher. He just, you just, he just knew when you used to him, step up the pitch, he was gonna score. And uh, he got, um, he got a team of season, got promotion with his club, and then earned the move to Blackburn. Um, when they were, when they, when they agreed on um, the move, he there in the Premier League. So it's he got interest from Premier League clubs kind of, from playing in League One. That doesn't go, um. Easy doing, but it's just you jumping up two divisions that ultimately did play in the championship the following season. The for but they when they're interested in it, well, they were a Premier League club,
0: and I think he's definitely the best player in my opinion to have played from League One in the last ten years. So Alex has gone with Jordan Rhodes. Joe, uh, who would you go with, and uh, sort of what's your justification for it? Uh,
2: well, I'll just put my
1: my three across, and that's uh, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely Jordan Rhodes, definitely in my, in my three. I think that season with Huddersfield was just unbelievable. Probably the best individual season I've seen a player in League One, um, one of the two, you know, you look at career trajectory. Delhi Alley, I mean, played in League One. Carl uh, Robinson never mentions that that he managed, uh, <laughs> managed Delhi Ali. Yeah, never ever mentioned. Um, but yeah, he's gone on to have an unbelievable career for England, and Tottenham. Uh, so he's definitely in there. I'd also say a player that constantly just you, you could always rely on a League One is Will Grigg. You know, he's had se- good seasons with MK Dons, uh, Wigan, and now seems to be sort of hitting. Uh, form at last for Sunderland
0: and he did for Warsaw as well didn't he if I remember right yeah then. absolutely
1: it's just, oh, in this division you know you need a striker Will Grigg is, is somebody that, that above everyone you know you would love to have in your team in, in this division and uh, uh, it's still going you know he hasn't really hit the heights um, above this division you know the championship when he's gone on there for, for, for Wigan and, and you know, it's never really worked out for him um, but, uh, but yeah he's definitely in my three but I'd probably say just Due to the, to the sheer trajectory of his career um, since he's played in League One, he obviously
0: had a great season there as well. is Delhi Alley for me. That's a, that's very very interesting. Um, the three I'd go with, uh, obviously, I think Jordan Rhodes definitely on there. Um, like what you two just said, I put Billy Sharp in there. But one person who, okay, maybe I'm being a bit biased because he did used to play for my team, but someone Ricky Lambert. Um, I think because simply his goal-scoring stats for three to four years were, were so consistent. I mean, got some of his record here. For 2008-9, for Rovers in which he finished in the top half of the table, he got 29-45. in 9-10, his first sort of year at Southampton, he hit 31-45. 10-11, he hit 21-45. In uh, 2007-08, obviously, which is stretching a season before we obviously do this debate, uh, he hit a lot as well for Rovers, so you know you look at that. He hit over 100 goals in 200, in just under 200 games, and obviously he won the JPT in 2010, got promotion with Southampton. So that's kind of the justification I have for that. But I do I agree with the choices that you have made in terms of Ali and. And, and Jordan Rhodes. Um, so I, I actually thought that was going to be a lot harder than what it was. But, uh... I, I, can
1: could just give honourable mentions to players who were sort of not forwards? You know, Aidan Flint. Um, I remember that was yeah. at yeah, Bristol City mm. where he scored, what, 10-15 goals from centre-back? Uh, the goalkeepers, um, Simon Eastwood, I know it's a bit biased, but Simon Eastwood over the last sort of two, three seasons in yeah. this division has been unbelievable. Um, honestly, it has been incredible. Um, so it is worth just pointing out the other the, the positions. Flint as well. Flint has had a wonderful mm. time um, in this division. So, although um, I think it's always natural that you're going to go with forwards and the players who are just putting the ball in the back of the net or creating chances. Jose Font, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jose Font.
0: Um, I, I, I was, I was gonna
1: be, like, scoring the goals, but I think other positions were honourable mentions.
0: I think, you know, I said as well, I think uh, when Peterborough were in the level, George Boyd, Craig McHale-Smith, I think, obviously, you know, he's another striker, but he hit a lot of goals at the level. Yeah, um, and obviously, there's there's a lot of other players which, you, you you know, if you sat down and really looked at over the course of the seasons you'd throw in yeah. immediately. But trying to reel off the top of your head, it's... Nilana. Yeah, yeah, you would. Right, so we we move on to the part of the podcast where we do our predictions for four big games uh, concerning the uh, weekend. It's Um, hard to pick four fixtures, was not it? As um, the famous Lewis and Dave rightly pointed out, (laughs) um, every game this weekend has something potentially quite big line on it for one of the two clubs who are... So the
2: fact that you managed to narrow it down to format, I've got to say, well done to you. because I don't, I'm not
0: sure I would have been able to. Well, I mean, it's very, it's a very, very good point. What, um, what was obviously said on Twitter, but I'm just sort of very looking good. at the four, four important games. Maybe, maybe people will, will disagree, which is fair enough. They're entitled to their opinion. But uh, anyway, let's, let's. Obviously, one of them stand-up game, mouthwatering game, Sunderland versus Portsmouth. If I go to you, Alex first, how do you see the game going at the stage in my life? Uh,
2: I. I think I don't think Portsmouth are going to lose it. Whether they again, you got to say when they win it's another thing. I think it's going to be a draw. I think it's going to be I mean it's going to be quite a good game match. Usually when two of the better teams collide, you can often be a bit underwhelmed, a bit disappointed. But I don't I don't think it's going to be like that. I think both teams are going to attack from the off, play to um, score goals. I think both teams are going to play to win. But I just don't think either will sort of be able to quite be able to get the upper hand on. On the, the, the other one, so I'm going to go with a one-all draw. I think I, I, I don't know. I can't predict whether we'll to take the lead or whatnot, but I think it'll be a score draw, and I think it's going to be a really good game, and I think it's going to be well worth the chip up for the Portsmouth fans.
0: Joe, do you have the same feeling as what Alex did, or do you think something may be slightly different?
1: Mm, I'm actually going to go for a, for a Portsmouth win. I think Sunderland uh, had sort of promotion in their hands; they could they could sort of see it. Um, on the horizon, they had a couple of games at hand but they've just sort of wasted the opportunity really. And I think their confidence will be shot. I think Portsmouth are on riding right the crest of a wave, whereas Sunderland are trying to pick themselves up after a, a big disappointment, obviously the late equaliser uh for Peterborough, uh Matt Godden right in the last minute for for Peterborough, sort of levelling the scores of the Stadium of Lights on Easter Monday. That'd be a massive blow to their promotion hopes. And I can actually see Portsmouth winning this one by, by Golton Hill.
0: Um, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. Um, I think, obviously, Portsmouth, I think, will take a lot of encouragement by the fact Sunderland shipped in five in their last home game to uh, Coventry. Um, But Sunderland, you know, they're a team who've lost three games. They do tend to draw a lot. You look at their record in these big, big games. Yes, they don't win, but they don't lose them. And I would uh, go with a... Uh, a one-one draw. Right? Let's look at another big game. Uh, this time at the bottom, Wimbledon versus Wickham. Uh, it's going to get Alex uh, certainly uh, waking up now. Uh, let's let's go with you first, Alex. Obviously, Wickham win. They've confirmed safety. They're nearly there. Wimbledon win. It, it throws it throws everything into the mix. Um, how how do you see the game going for for Ainsworth's uh, team, at, uh, Kings Meadow on Saturday? Um. Well. Yeah. It's, it
2: is. A game which is definitely bigger for Wimbledon than it is this. I mean we're probably I mean one point from the last two games probably would keep us up and then Wimbledon they've got they've got to be able to dig themselves out of a preserve point behind Southend and um and they've got to be able to make up that gap. So they, they do need to win more than us. I think their confidence after getting that last draw against Little is going to be sky high. I don't like going against Wickham, but I, I do think Wimbledon are going to beat us on Saturday. I think that's one of the only times in the season I've actually said that, because I'm usually trying to stay positive. But I think it's going to be probably 1-0 to Wimbledon. Arkansas. I think they'll manage to get it quite well. They seem to have put their together under what downs. I'm looking now. They're dead tough to beat. They haven't lost any of their last five. It's, they're, they're a team which, um, albeit they've gone for them, but they're, they're showing that they're, they're, they're tough to beat. And if Luton can't put them, per my side then I'm not sure anyone in this league at this stage I think everyone in this league at this stage would struggle to beat Wimbledon so I do think they probably will run out winners on Saturday and ultimately I do think they'll end up staying up
0: Score prediction? 1-0
2: to Wimbledon
0: Joe what are you thinking?
1: Um, I think this is a dream game for Gareth Ainsworth where he just needs to grind out a point. I think that's uh, absolutely what he's been good at over the last few years, just, just grinding out a result. I think it will be a nil-nil draw. Um, Wimbledon, I think, will be knocking on the door all game. But I just think Wickham, a point will be good enough. A point will um, surely uh, confirm their spot in League One for next season. So I think they'll be going for, uh, for that point from the, from the very start. Um, I think it'll probably be a lot of possession for Wimbledon, a lot of balls into the, into the box from, from, from Wimbledon. But I just don't think they're going to break through.
0: I'm going to go with uh, a 1-0 Wimbledon win. Sorry, Alex. I just think, you know, very much what you said, very, very, very very similar in terms of, um, you know, both both teams will give it a lot of effort. Maybe not the quality um, that, you know, you would associate with other games in the division, but... Maybe, I, I, you know, you've just got to go with what you're sometimes thinking and I think maybe Wimbledon will, will win this game. Um, one, one game that is very, very important is Accrington versus Plymouth. We spoke about Plymouth, how they're in such a real rut of form. You never want to go to Accrington away at any stage of the season. Um, I'll start this one off. I could actually see Accrington winning. I, can, I think a 2-1 win, I just think the way Plymouth are at the moment, I just cannot see them getting out of this slump. I really, really can't. I think Accrington, are such, on a high, great win at Doncaster. You know, they they want to they want to confirm their survival in front of a packed out Wham Stadium. So I'm going to go two one Accrington. Um, whoever wants to go first, out of you two, to uh, predict this game, then uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I,
1: I I'm not sure. I, agree. I think this will be. Uh, a bit of a ding dong clap. I think it would be back and forth. I, but I think Accrington, their result at Doncaster, that might work against them in this respect because I think they put a hell of a lot of effort and energy into that game. I think it might be difficult to pick themselves up, uh, up again. And it's, it's, it sort of seemed like a bit of a, a celebration atmosphere for, for as if they had secured safety. Um, and I think you know Plymouth has still have it very much all to play for. Um, so I think it will be it will be tough. You know the way they're playing at the moment, Plymouth. Um, you can never. It's, it's difficult, really, to, to sort of see them win a game. But I'm gonna go. For, I'm going to go for a draw. I'm gonna go for a two-two draw in on this one, actually.
0: Not too bad, Alex. Your uh, your thoughts on this one, mate? This game
2: is very difficult to predict. Joe made a good point saying that Accrington put a lot of put a big shift in on Tuesday night, but then that just makes me think back to League Two last year. They got promoted on a Tuesday night, and the next game on the Saturday was away at Wickham The team finished third. They won that 4 0 so it's the sort of thing that you can it can either put them in confidence when they secured their position in the league for another year, or they it can have taken all the energy out of their players. But I, I think Plymouth for they're just in freefall at the minute. I, I don't think they're going to win. But I, so I'm going to probably go for I said two 0 Accrington. I think they'll have enough just to see off a Pimma side who have been underperforming in the last um, in the last um, six seven weeks or so, and I think Accrington will have enough to. Just um, be able to dispose of them effectively
0: enough. The final game I picked out is a very, very tough one that the the last game I picked out but the one I'm going to look at I think is Rochdale versus Southend simply obviously because we, we did talk about uh, Rochdale at the start of the podcast. Southend of course got a massive win. Their first win in 16 versus Burton Albion on Easter Monday. Um, really over the Easter weekend should have got six points if it wasn't for a dodgy referee decision against Warsaw. Um... Alex, you gave us the last prediction for the uh, Accrington-Plymouth game. How do you see Rochdale-Southend going? Do you see um, Southend getting a result, or do you see Rochdale doing what they've done the last two games and edging it slightly?
2: Again, it's another one quite hard to call. I can imagine, uh, for a similar reason as to um, uh, the Wimbledon-Wiccan game, I think the, the, the win for... The points for South End is more important than them. I've watched. Watchdown probably say fifty one points, i not gonna go down with that. And then South End, they've finally got their first win for well since so January and that's gonna probably put their in a bit of a high. I, I, I think I don't think I think it'll probably be a draw. It's it's a tough game it's a really tough game to call again. But I think mean, we get all four this week have been pretty hard to call. I'm gonna say it's I'm gonna go the nil nil draw. I, I think it's maybe South End know with Plymouth and um Scunthorpe playing each other if whatever they can pick up will be massive know the fact that one of those two will definitely drop points in the final day of the season and if they can keep their destiny in their own hands which a point I think it probably will do that but they, they can't be sure but I think it will do that they they will be able to go into the final day with um, their own destiny in their own hands and I think you can't really ask much more after going 16 games without a win or whatever it was so I'm, yeah I'm going
0: to go for a 0 draw See I'm going to go the same score on a journey I, I, I would have to say I agree I think, I think They'll look at Plymouth versus Scunthorpe on the last day and think, you know, if we could get a positive result, you know, get five points from the last three games, I think they would take that. And the way Rochdale are playing, two 1-0 wins in their last two games. They, you know, I think Southend will set up to, to almost go there and try and get a point. Um, whether or not they can execute that game plan will remain to be seen. But I do think that it will be a nil-nil. Are we going to get a clean sweep of 0 nils or are you thinking something less uh, or something different, Joe. Uh, I'm
1: going to think something different, um, and I think I actually think Southend are going to win this game. Just because I, th- I actually think Kevin Bond's done a great job. Apart from one sort of off game against Wickham where they I think it, by all accounts they deserve to lose. Um, they've actually in every game apart from that they've been they've played well. I mean they should have won at Fleetwood. A late lapse lapse of concentration from a set piece cost them that. A, a poor refereeing decision against Walsall um, cost them two points in that game. And they actually had a really impressive win on Easter Monday against Burton Albion, who were uh, sort of relatively in form and, you know, top off the table. So I actually think End uh, I can see them winning this game 1-0, actually.
0: All right, brilliant stuff. So that wraps up everything uh, on the podcast for this week's episode. My thanks goes to Alex uh, f- uh, for his input. Alex, thank you very much. Absolute
2: pleasure, Matthew. absolute pleasure, as so always. Nice.
0: Very, very good stuff. And also my pleasure goes out to Jason Choney. Thank you very much, mate. Uh, no worries, Alex. Was... Uh, that's great stuff, uh, right so if you haven't already subscribe to the Twitter at L1 Lowdown uh, To see all the information that we tweet out uh, To subscribe to the SoundCloud account uh, that will be very much within the uh, Twitter as well And also if you want to listen to the championship or have a very genuine interest listen to at Championship chat uh, with the host Elliot Jackson there so all of the from all of us here at the L1 Lowdown. Very much goodbye and we'll see you for next week as we preview the last round of fixtures.